I wanted to talk this morning about multiplication. It's a theme that God's got on my on my heart. I remember the the revelation that uh, that came to me when I was at school, and I I was uh, I could add. I was pretty good adder, by the way. Um, I, I challenge you to an adding match at the end. No, I was a pretty good adder. But then suddenly the teacher said, "Now today we're going to talk about multiplication." I was like, "Oh, multiplication! Never heard of multiplication. What, what's multiplication?" And then she taught us, and this whole vista of life opened up. So you know, addition is forget addition. And multiplication is where the cool kids are at. You know, so. I I join it. And you know what? The reality is, actually, we are all called to multiplication. You are too good to remain alone. You are destined to multiply. That's what Jesus taught us. You are too good to... Some of you don't believe me. I can tell by the looks on your faces. Turn to the person next to you and say to them, you are too good to remain alone. You are destined to multiply. Now, now you need to say to them, and I'm too good to remain alone. I need to, I am destined to multiply. I am destined, you're destined to multiply. Jesus designed you to multiply. God designed you to multiply, not to remain alone, but to multiply all that he's put in you, all the gifts, all the talents, all the abilities that he's put in you. The world wants to say to you, you're no use. You've got no hope. You really don't really count. But God says to you, I have picked you out because I've put stuff in you that must multiply, that must actually fill the earth. That's what God gave originally to Adam and Eve. Their destiny was to multiply and fill the earth with the good stuff that God had put in them. Well, that that man has not changed. Jesus came along. He was doing the stuff. He was going around, setting people free, healing people, teaching them. But then he says, do you know what, guys? This is not enough for me to do this. He said, I'm going to raise up others to do the same thing. And so then he does do that. You and I are destined to multiply. And so uh, I want to talk a little bit about that uh, this morning. And one of the things that we've realized as a community is this is foundational for every believer. We have to get not just the, the kind of conscious acknowledgement of this, we have to own this in our hearts. We have to get this so deep within us, because otherwise our behavior just won't change. We'll live out of the lies of the past. So we do a training school called um, a Training for Supernatural Ministry that Wendy leads, that many of you will know Wendy. She's perhaps been, uh, I think she came to the, the weekend away we did. And um, uh, Wendy leads that, and she says to me, she said, the one thing I have to get into people's, after I've, ha- you know, we had the students for a year, and we've been pouring stuff into them for a year and then we're about to release them to go and kind of live their lives in a different way. Uh, she said, the one thing I've got to get into their hearts is that they were born to multiply, that they've got something to give the world. Because many believers come into the training course not thinking they've got anything to offer, really. Nothing to offer in the workplace, nothing to offer in the home, nothing to offer in the church. And she said, we spent a year trying to get them to realize, no, God has put great stuff in you by his spirit. This isn't about you, it's about him. And then, but now, it will all come to nothing if you don't believe that and take that out onto the streets. And just say to the person next to you, I think I've got this already, I I think this hopefully is relevant for you, but I, I've nailed this one already. So, and we've seen that. You know, our groups, for example, used to be very, our groups that would meet midweek would be very um, kind of inward focused, kind of looking after each other, a bit of a kind of survival mentality. If we just hang on long enough, you know, Jesus might come back and we might be all right. And that was kind of our mentality. But we began to realize, 
No, we want our groups to be not, yes, caring for one another, yes, looking after one another, but also impacting the world around. So we started to switch them up. Hence, you know, Ben and Rachel's group, uh, adoption and fostering, because that's their particular passion. It's not everyone's passion. Other people have got a passion for rabbit fostering. They've got a passion for real life human beings. And they're doing an amazing job with that. We've got a group that's reaching into the prison. And, and they're, uh, so there are so many stories coming out of that group. They go into the prison pretty much every week, run an alpha. They, they weren't allowed in at first, but they went in just to serve and slowly but slowly won the confidence of the of the uh, of the prison and now they they do run alpha there and just the stories i mean there's just one guy he uh it was just so aggressive and angry in the group anyway they managed to persuade him to take a bible um one of the most kind of uh kind of destructive prisoners there they managed to persuade him to take a bible he took the bible and the story goes he took the bible um back to his cell and he was opened it to the gospel of john and um, and he just couldn't make it. He just couldn't understand it. Very low education, just could not understand the thing. And he was just got so frustrated. He just kind of laid it on his chest and thought, oh, I'm just going to go to sleep. And he said, as the Bible hit his chest, this peace just kind of came over him. And it, he came back to the group next week. He said, this weird experience happened to me as I, I couldn't even understand the Bible. As I laid it on top of me, this peace just came in. What is it? Anyway, they led him through to Christ. And he's still, as far as I know, he's still in the prison leading other people through to Christ. He's the, the biggest evangelist to bring people to the group. It started with people who've got a passion for, for something. And uh, we've got one lady who, she uh, leads a group into um, immigration center, which is just a desperate, desperate place. These are the people who failed immigration. Do you imagine your whole hope is moving to another nation? Your whole hope is like, if only we can escape the hellhole that home is and move somewhere else. And these people have done that, and then they failed immigration. So they are going back, you know. I mean, it's just like a very, very dark place. Hopeless, hopeless place. But she's got a passion. She's got an open door to go in there. So she goes in regularly. And... Uh, as she was, she was just telling me, uh, just telling us a week or so ago, they, they've got a lady that they connect with. A year ago, she was a drug addict. She had hepatitis B and asthma. And over the last year, they've been working with her. And she came up to them recently. She said, you know what? My life has been transformed. And she said, I'm glad I came to this place. She said, because I've met you. I've given my life to follow Jesus. They got delivered from a whole lot of spiritual stuff. She got healed of hepatitis B. She got healed of asthma. So she is going back to her own nation. But she's going back a completely different woman. So I just, I just, it just encourages me. One lady, you know, her passion is for her neighborhood. So she's got, she said, um, she's got six homes around her. And out of the six homes around her, now four of the other ladies in those homes come to her group. One of them's not a believer. She's like, I don't believe any of this stuff, but I love the community. So can I come? So she comes along as well. There's something about it when we get into our hearts that we are born to multiply. Shall I stop now? Am I convinced you already? Is that kind of an... I'll keep, I'll keep going. Okay. I, I ought to open the Bible and make it a legal message. Okay. Luke chapter 10. This is the story of what Jesus said to his disciples when he wanted to convince them that they were born to multiply. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful. Say plentiful. But the laborers are few. Say few. few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And they were like, phew, he's asking us to pray for others to go. That's amazing. I can do that. We'll accept that commission. We will pray our socks off. So they prayed their socks off for a moment. And then he said, 
So go. And they're like, hang on, I thought we were praying for someone else to go. No, no, no. Oh, hang on, the whole third party thing. No, 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 that was for us. You were praying for yourselves. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Say, meh. <laughs> Say, grrr. <laughs> Who hopes the translator's got those two words the wrong way around? <laughs> you know, who wants to be the lamb? No one wants to be the lamb. I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no wallet, no bag, no sandals with you. Some of you are thinking, I hate sandals. That is such a good idea. Jesus is, Jesus isn't hated sandals. I think what he was saying actually was don't take two pairs of shoes. Ladies, sorry, only one pair of shoes on this mission. And some guys as well. I've got my friend Marco. He's into shoes as well. I told him, Marco, one pair of shoes. That's it. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Only one pair of shoes. And don't greet anyone on the road. That doesn't sound very friendly. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be on this house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Don't go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go to the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we're going to wipe away. Nevertheless, know the kingdom of God has really come near to you today. I tell you, it's going to be more bearable on that day for Sodom than than for that town. Sodom was a town that had massively come under God's judgment because of huge immorality. And Jesus said, people who don't receive the message that you're carrying, it's going to be better for Sodom on that day than it will be for them. Why? Because this is the only message of hope. If you don't receive this message, what other hope have you got? The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. This is Jesus multiplying. He's taking 72 others and he's sending them out before him. You can guess they were somewhat reluctant. They wanted to hang out with Jesus, but Jesus is sending them. So four words that I think we can learn from this passage in our commission to multiply. The first word is this, go. Say after me, go. (laughs) Go. We have to go. I just need four volunteers very quickly to come to the front. Four, Steve, you're looking keen. You're moving anyway. So <laughs> four volunteers very quickly to come to the front. Four, Alison, yeah. Frustrated drama students. That's it. Fant- oh, sorry. I've never mentioned that, did I? So up here, I think will be great. One more, one more. One more. Come, 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 come. So very quickly, I need, guess who wants, you are going to be the wolf. <laughs> Cuddle together. Huddle together. I need some lambs, so just start bleating. (laughs) Keep going, keep going, keep going. There is one. You're a very unimpressive wolf. I wish I'd chosen someone else. You're actually quite good. There is one lesson to learn from this. This is the point that Jesus was making. How are the lambs feeling? Scared. Very scared. Terrified. (laughs) Because of our fearsome wolf here. That is the point. Thank you very much. Object lesson. Very good. Remind me to pick a better wolf next time, will you? I was not impressed with that wolf. (laughs) No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. You were were very scary. Deeply, deeply scary. I'm terrified. (laughs) The point is, I'm sending him out amongst lambs, amongst wolves. Jesus said go, but he said what? You are going to face Fear. 
fear. But our thing is, when we go and we face fear, we're like, I'm not going again. <laughs> That's it. I only went, I only, I'm only going there once. We face fear and we recognize that as we go, Jesus actually said that we would face fear, which is not meant to make us afraid. It's meant to make us what? Courageous. It's a bit like Winston Churchill when he said to the, to the, to the allies when they had just been massively defeated in a, in a battle with the Nazis and he said, I can offer you blood, sweat and tears. What is it? It's a courageous commander saying, I'm sending you out and the guy, this is scary. It is not scary in order to, I'm not telling you that in order to put you off. I'm actually telling you that to prepare you for the journey ahead. The other thing I think is helpful to observe is this. A shepherd may leave a, a sheep on its own. Notice Jesus didn't say, I'm sending you like sheep amongst wolves. At least sheep stood a chance. I mean, they got a nasty bite on them. You know, if I'd have had the sheep have a go at uh, our wolf here. A sheep have a nasty, at least sheep stand a chance. No, I'm sending you like lambs. Now, a shepherd may leave sheep on, and you often see that. A shepherd will often leave sheep on their own. But I tell you what, they will not leave lambs on their own. <laughs> Lambs, even if they seem like they're on their own, you know the shepherd, the farmers are watching out for what happens to the lamb. What's the point? The same Jesus who said, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves, is the same Jesus who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So yes, it's fearful. Yes, it's a little bit terrifying. Actually, making disciples, connecting with others who aren't part of our flock, it's scary. But Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you in this. It's to encourage you. I, I tell you, one of the things for, for this community, you've created this amazing space now. It's going to be facing that fear to bring others into that space. It's going to be facing the fear to bring others into your community. It's going to be facing that fear and saying, we feel scared. It's messy. It's ugly. But actually... We know that Christ is with us. I know for me, God did it. I was terrified of the going. I wanted to stay safe. I was terrified of the going. And then God fixed me. I'll tell you how he fixed me. He put me in an engineering job. And on my first week there, I was 24. And the room was filled with 10 guys between kind of 40 and 50 years old. And they were kind of worldly wise men. They were guys who'd kind of been around the tracks. And on that, fir- probably the end of the first week, one of them said, so Simon, are you going to go out, you know, get, get yourself hammered and find some ladies? And it was like, it was like everyone was listening because everyone was on their drawing boards, drawing their machines and stuff. And it was like the whole room was listening. And a little voice went into my mouth, it went into my head that said, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and another voice said, If you keep your mouth shut now, you will never open your mouth for Christ again in this workplace. And I knew it was like a defining moment, end of week one. And so I swallowed my fear and I said, actually, I'm not going to do that. And he said, what's wrong with you? You know, we're all married and stuck at home with kids. You're a young stallion. Get out there. What's wrong with you? You need to get out there and do your stuff. You know, we're all kind of living through you now. <laughs> and I was like, I used to, and the voice in my head's going, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut. It's still not too late to pull out. <laughs> I said, I used to do that kind of stuff. But a few years ago, I became a Christian. And I don't do that stuff anymore. And I still go out to, you know, pubs and stuff, but I just don't get hammered. I'm not looking for what you think I'm looking for. And you know, like, apparently in a slaughterhouse, it's completely silent before the, the animals get slaughtered. 
It was that kind of silence in the room. It was that kind of silence. It was like the lamb before the slaughter. And then one of them said, oh, well, if that's, that's good for you, I guess that's good for you. It wasn't good for me. They hammered me relentlessly for eight. I was there for two and a half years. Eight, two and a half years. They hammered me every day. Sometimes every day. Any time anything came on the news about Christianity or anything about anything remotely connected, it would be like, uh oh, here we go. And they would just go for it. But do you know what? That day in, day out, and I learned to laugh at myself. I learned to speak up boldly, shaking, my voice quivering, turning bright red. I learned to hear them all laughing at me. I just stood. That is just, I worked in that for two and a half years. But do you know what? It taught me something. Christ is with me. He is with me. And it broke the fear. It broke, it was like, it was like an, a, a baptism of fear that actually broke the fear. And I thought, do you know what? I've had the worst that they can throw at me. I've had the worst in terms of the mockery and the and the I've had, and the cynicism. I've had it all. I've had the worst that the world can throw. I, in fact, interestingly, after that, I, I, I was starting to lead the Alpha course at church, and I remember one day we did this Alpha course. And normally, if you do the talk, you don't then go into a group because it's just a bit awkward for the people to say, oh, "What do you think of that talk?" You know, and it's like, "Well, oh, the guy's sitting there," you know. So it's just not a conducive atmosphere for discussion. Well, this time we were short on team, so I had to sit in a group so I sat in a group and said okay what do you think of what I just said thinking you know people are going to be awkward and British and polite and one guy said what's the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard in my life and you know what was interesting was my response because in the past I'd have been terrified I'd have thought, and inwardly I was like, this is going to be an awesome group. <laughs> this is, I had repented and my mind had changed. I decided I'm not going to live under this fear anymore. I'm called to go. I'm called to go. And yes, fear does still affect me, but ultimately I'm not going to let that fear hold me back anymore. I'm called to go. How about you? How about you? Have you got through the fear of the going? Have you decided, I am born to multiply, to make disciples? Is fear holding you back anymore? I would urge you to kick that fear in the teeth. Kick the wolf in the... Sorry to use you again. You're really never going to volunteer again from one of my... Kick that wolf in the teeth and say, do you know what? I might feel like a lamb, but Christ is with me. As David said, the Lord is my shepherd. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, they are with me. It's that sense of, yes, I feel like a lamb amongst wolves, but actually Christ is with me. The second thing is this. So first go. Second, Jesus says, find. He says this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The reality is no one is too lost for Jesus. No one is too lost. And he, even though we see what's on the surface, he sees the heart. He sees the heart. I remember, uh, I love reading stories of revival and, and Charles Finney and the American, great American awakening. I love reading those stories. And I remember the story though of, uh, Charles Finney's associate. Finney would preach publicly. Hundreds, thousands, whole towns would come to faith in Christ. But what many don't know is the story of John Hyde, who was his partner. And John Hyde never got on a platform. No one even know often in the town that he was there because he would arrive sometimes a day or two days or a week before and he would just check himself into a hotel and he would just ask around the town and he would say, who is the most violent, most drunken, most difficult person in this town? Who are they? What's their name? And they would tell him. He would ask a few people. He would typically get the common answer and then he would go and lock himself, check himself into the hotel and stay there and he would pray. And you know what happened? Very often, it was the person he was praying for who would come to faith in Christ first. 
And when they came through, then the whole town would come. They would say, well, if this guy gets saved, anyone can get saved. They would, it, would, it was his prayer for the individual, which shows us what? The harvest is plentiful. And very often we think the harvest isn't plentiful. These people don't even want to know. They don't even care. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I have. I felt that, you know, when I was not a believer, uh, and if you're not a believer here today, you're not a, not a follower of Christ, I was exactly like you. I thought this stuff was a load of rubbish. And, and when I was like that, I just didn't want to hear. I just didn't want to, I just didn't, on the surface, I was anti-Christian. So I just did not want to hear. And often as believers now, I'm on the other side. We feel like that. But Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. I, I love the story of the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest Christian leaders. And he's traveling around. He gets to Corinth, uh, a big influential city, and it's not going well. You can tell he's starting to feel like this place hates me. I mean, a lot of places hate him, but this place really hates me. And then it says, Jesus appeared to him in a vision. And it said, do, he said to him, do not be afraid, Paul. I have many people in this city. <laughs> yet nobody had yet become a Christian. And yet Jesus saw their hearts. He saw, which is why Jesus says to these guys as he sent them out, if you find a person of peace. So what he's saying is there's people out there who are going to respond. They are already my people. They just don't know it yet. He is the great shepherd of the world. He knows who is going to respond to him. And they are out there. So the first word is go. The second word is find. We just got to find those people. There are people in this area. There are people around here. There are people perhaps even in your workplace who are people of peace. They just don't realize it there. If you're not a believer here this morning, you need to know Jesus calls you a person of peace. He calls you a person of peace. That's the regard he has for you. There's a, that you're, you're, the very fact that you're here. And so it's recognized, and Jesus says this, when you first enter a house, peace beyond this house, if a son of peace is there. So what he's saying is they've not heard anything, they don't understand anything, and yet they are still a person of peace. There's something about the hearts that is open to the gospel. I was in a, a Muslim nation recently, and uh, as I was there, I was, um, I think since I was with you guys last time I was there, and um, I was in the restaurant with a guy um, who was kind of hosting us, and just as we were finishing the meal, I really felt a strong sense for the, the woman who was the what I, I thought was the waitress. And so I said to the, my host, who obviously spoke the language, I said, could you, you know, I got a message for her. I thought like God wants to speak to her. So we gave her this message. And in the message, I said, I feel like, you know, uh, God is, is with you. And I gave her some detailed things about a relationship breakdown and some difficulties that she'd had. And she was clearly tearing up and responding to God that it really kind of touched her heart. And um, uh, at the end, uh, and the word I'd had for her was that um, that she's like Lydia. Now, Lydia in the Bible was a woman who was very influential in a certain city. She was like a, a significant woman. And I was thinking, OK, this is interesting because she I think she's a waitress. So I don't know how that kind of plays out. Afterwards, the guy who I was with said, it was amazing what, you know, what we did with her. He said, I know her. He said, she was not the waitress. She owns that business. In fact, she owns two restaurants in that city and um, in our city. And she's an incredibly influential woman. Well, that Sunday, she came along to church. She opened her heart to follow Christ. She's now on a journey being discipled by one of the ladies in the church. So, she, I mean, she's coming from way back. But it just, it just excited me that actually God sees her. He sees her and he knows her. Even though she's just kind of doing her business. And, and as we genuinely go, as we genuinely get through the fear and say, I am out. My, my day looks different. I am on a treasure hunt. I am looking for those people of peace. The question I've often had is, well, how do you identify them? 
How do you know if they are a people, a person of peace? And if you look at this passage, and a friend of mine helped me with this just the other week. Um, firstly, Jesus says they'll welcome you. He says whenever you go to a town and someone welcomes you, they receive you. So a person of peace, typically there's a welcome. There's something about a welcome there. Secondly, it says they serve you because it says they'll give you something to eat. So there's an element where they will serve you. There's a there's a hard connection. They're just not closed and indifferent. They will serve you. They give you something to eat. And thirdly, they'll listen to you. The one who hears you hears me. So they welcome you. They serve you. They listen to you. And you know what? Since I heard that, it's really opened my mind to think, you know what? I think there are more people of peace around than I'd realized. I was actually talking to another church about this a few weeks ago, and a lady came up to me at the end. And she said, since I heard, you know, since you were speaking this morning, she said, God spoke to me already. She said, there are two ladies that I know. And they are definitely people of peace. They hear all three of those. They've welcomed me. They serve me. They listen to me. She said, but I just have never given them any time. I've been investing my time elsewhere, but I suddenly realized I've already got people of peace in, in my life already. You know, I, 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 after we were kind of learning about it, just a couple of weeks ago, I was getting my hair cut, and uh, I was, we were talking, and the, the lady who cuts my hair also has cut Caroline's hair for, for years. She got tired of my haircut. She's like, go and see the lady who cuts my hair. So, <laughs> so now I, I've, you know, I've sent to, sent to see, see this lady, and um, just as we're talking, we're talking about marriage, and we're talking about, you know, staff around that, um, and I talked about a couple in our church who'd had an encounter with God, and she said, what is an encounter with God? And I was like, I think you're a person of peace. Most people would kind of let that go. They just wouldn't be interested. And then we were just, I was able to just give her this whole kind of backdrop as to what it meant to have an encounter with God. And uh, I just think as we begin to open our eyes and to look for the, to find, to say, I'm looking for those who welcome, who serve, who listen. Now, very often to find a person of peace, you've got to be a person of peace. You've got to welcome, you've got to listen, you've got to serve. That's where it starts. But it's when you find that two-way street, it's when you find that connection going both ways, I think that identifies to the person of peace. Sometimes uh, a friend of mine, Paul, was telling me, he said, uh, very often, he said, you you don't want the person of peace that you found. He said, as a family, and we do this with our family now, we were talking together about who are the people of peace. We do this with our kids. He said, I was doing it with his family. He said, all of his family, apart from him, had a person of peace that they were praying for, working with. And uh, and so he said, as, I, as we were that next day, he said, I was praying. I was saying, God, you've got to give me a person of peace. My kids have got a person of peace. They've got a couple. My wife's got loads. God, I've got no one. And into his mind came a, a guy who was a little bit difficult, very broken background, husband and wife, both alcoholics, very kind of chaotic lifestyle. And this guy comes into his mind and he thought, gosh, you know, they really have welcomed us into the community. They really serve us. They really listen to us. And then he thought, no, but no, not, not, not them. God, no, not them. You know, it's all just a little bit too messy. And so he's like, but God, give me a person of peace. Give me a person of peace. And so as he's praying, there's a knock on the door. So he goes and opens the door, and this guy is standing there at the door. Not only that, he is wearing a T-shirt, and on the T-shirt is by the brand Disciple. So, <laughs> so he's at the door with the word Disciple on his chest, and he's like, okay, Lord, I am stupid, but I'm not that stupid. Thank you for the hint. <laughs> Anyway, so he begins to reach out to this couple, the husband and the wife. They've both come to faith in Christ. They've both now joined their community. So his point was very often, 
you, you don't want the person of peace that God's already brought you. you. You'd rather someone who was a bit more kind of polished, a bit nicer, a bit more like you. But actually, it's not about that. Jesus said, go and find, because they're not your people, they're his people. They're his people. It's his heart for the people. And so we are not, it's not him serving our agenda. It's us serving his agenda. And he has got people in Solihull in your workplace and around that he loves and his heart is bleeding for them. And, and they might look on the surface that they're not interested. But if you will find, if you will look for them, you will find them. And, and we're finding that as a community too. Um, uh, why don't you just take a moment at that, that point? Um, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just say uh, three, an answer three ways. It could be yes, you know what, I already know who my, at least one person of peace is. It might be a no, I honestly don't know, I can't think of anyone who welcomes me, listens to me, serves me, I can't think of anyone. Or it might be a maybe, I'm not sure, I think I might know. Why don't you just answer that, yes, no, or maybe. There's no shame here. Let's just get honest. This is what Jesus told us to do. (laughs) Yes, no, or maybe. Okay, got that? So who, you can finish that comment. This is a great conversation in your groups or at home later. Who's a no? Honestly, I honestly don't know. There's no shame. Honestly, I don't know that there's anyone who's a person of peace. Just raise a hand if you're a no. Honestly, I'm a no. It's fine. It's great. Who, who is a, a few? Who is a maybe? I, I think I might know someone. I think God perhaps is stirring. Okay, that's great. Who's a, who's a yes? I definitely know. Isn't that amazing? So you look, actually the yes is, you know, we, we'll pray for everyone at the end, but actually, many of us probably would relate to the story of that lady who came to speak to me. We already know, but there's something that's not been connected right, because other things have got in the way, and we haven't been giving them the time, even though we know that they are a person of peace. Go, find, third word, disciple. It's what Jesus tells them to do. Once you've found them, you've got to start discipling them. He says, you know, Proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what I want you to do is tomorrow in your workplace, you know, school or wherever, I want you to get, get, go there probably early in the morning. We just wait till you know enough people have arrived, say ten o'clock. And I want you to stand on a chair or a, or a table or something, and I want and your loudest kind of most theatrical voice. I want you to proclaim. Isn't that what you said? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and kind of shake your face at the end like that. So it just kind of gives that warble <laughs> authority, and. Any anyone fancy that? Well, that's what Jesus told you to do. <laughs> Rob, you've got a really disobedient Simon. I, I think we might have to undo the whole elder. Do you really want these people? I mean, they are so. Jesus Himself told them to do something, Simon, and they're saying no. I mean, what is it? Do we re- do, is should we do that? I I don't think it would work. <laughs> I think you might turn a piece of person of peace into a person of not peace. If you start doing that, I don't know what the opposite of that is. A person of war, a person of hostility. It wouldn't work, would it? Well, what's, what's the thing? The thing is that Jesus was talking into a context where they were, even those who weren't following him, understood the kingdom of God. 
They, they understood. They were expecting God's kingdom to come. They had no clue it was coming through Jesus, but they had a context. They, they understood what Jesus was saying. And so when all they were worried about was when's it coming? When's it coming and what does it look like? That's what they needed to know. It wasn't a case of what on earth is it? Well, the people that you and I are relating, if you said to them, if you did that tomorrow, and I, for those of you who don't get humor, that was a whole joke, that thing. So please, please don't do that. Uh, uh, it will ruin your workplace. For the, the reality is, they just would have no concept or understanding of what that means. So then does that make Jesus' third point? Go, find disciple. Does it make that irrelevant? I don't think it does. Because actually there are ways that we can proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand without standing on a chair and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There are ways to do it. How do we do it? Well, firstly... We can model the ways of the kingdom. We can model the ways of the kingdom. We can live out of kingdom ways, which, to be honest, I can't remember who said it, but someone said they might hate our God, but they will love his ways. <laughs> because they want the people are hungry for his ways. They just don't realize it. The God that they have rejected is not the God who really is. <laughs> Very often, if you're talking to an atheist and they say, I don't believe in God, the, one of the best questions is, well, tell me about the God. Can you describe the God that you don't believe? Not aggressively, just tell me about the God that you don't believe in. Because I tell you, the picture of the God they don't believe in is not the God that you and I were worshipping this morning. <laughs> They've rejected. So so how are we going to know that God? They're going to first know him through his ways. So we can model the ways of the kingdom. We can model forgiveness. We can model compassion. We can model our heart for the poor and the broken. We can model the ways of the kingdom. And in a way, that is the first step often for people who are hostile to the gospel, the ways of the kingdom. One of the uh, our ladies is a coach. She does a business coach. She coaches business leaders. And so she was, um, uh, as she was coaching this lady, she has a word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge is this lady has lost joy in her childhood. She's got separated from joy. So instead of standing on the chair and saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the Lord says to you. No, she didn't do that. She said, do you know what? I think a great homework for you this month would be to find some joy again. I think you've lost your joy. Go to the synod. Do whatever you can to find joy somewhere. This is the most important thing you can do to further your kind of business career. So a month later, the lady comes back. She said, I did it. She said, I went to the cinema. I, had, I laughed so hard. I haven't laughed like in, in years. She said, I, I feel so, so different. Well, then she took a next step. She thought, I think this lady might be open. So she began to talk to her and say, well, actually, um, it's a bit awkward, but it wasn't my idea. God spoke to me about you and said that that's what happened. Is that kind of freak you out? Is that, actually, I haven't told you, but I'm a Christian as well. <laughs> And so the whole, this whole thing began and she began to take it on a, on a journey. And, and that's another point, you know, because sometimes when we think about the word discipleship, we're thinking about people who are already Christians. And some people, when they think about evangelism, they're thinking about people who aren't yet Christians. And if you're not a believer here this morning, then I'm giving you the kind of inside story, if that's all right. But I think, actually, the reality is people are just people. And if you look at what Jesus did, he just took people at any stage on their journey and moved them up a notch, and moved them further. You know, you know someone wants a, a kind of scale, and they called it, it was a guy called Engel, and he called it the Engel scale after himself. And and uh, his scale was that you know very often there are people who are my, they're so far from God. You know, Adolf Hitler minus ten, as my kids like, like to put it in Star Wars term, Darth Vader. You know, my, minus Darth Sidious would be really into it. Minus ten. You know, they're they're just so far from God. And then at the other end, you've got. 
you know, 10, plus 10. You've got, I don't know, Mother Teresa or, I mean, I'm sure she had problems, but, you know, as best as you can possibly think of Mother Teresa or, you know, Yoda. So you've got, <laughs> you've got this scale. And very often people think, well, I'm focused on the not, you know, and naught is the point where you follow Christ. You give your life to Christ. Okay. So, so that, you know, Luke Skywalker. You, you're so, you're so, very often people say, no, I'm, I'm reaching the loss. I'm the naught to minus 10 people. That's the people I want to focus on. Other people, no, no, they're too scary. I'm the naught to 10 people. I do that. Do you know what? I just think it isn't, it isn't healthy to think like that. It's whoever the Lord gives us, whoever he puts in front of us, our job is just to serve them and help. You know, if you move someone from minus eight to minus seven, you've done a kingdom work right there. You've done discipleship. That is discipleship. If they thought God was irrelevant and Christians were boring and annoying, you know, minus ten, they thought God was dead and Christians were, if you met them, just avoid them. And you move them to minus eight, which is like, I still don't believe in God. But all right, not all Christians are annoying and boring. <laughs> you've moved, that's discipleship right there. If you've moved someone from one, which is like, I think I'm following Jesus, to two, which is like, I feel like I've been adopted into God's family, then that's discipleship. It's all discipleship. And I don't think it's actually healthy just to focus on naught to ten, because I tell you what, we're born to make disciples who make disciples. So if the disciples that you're making see you totally focus around this range of people, what are they going to do? They're going to do exactly the same as you. They're going to focus around this range of people. So even if you feel my primary call is to disciple people who are already believers, that's fine. But I would say you've got to have at least a few people who are down this. Because you want to make disciples who make disciples, and they can't do that if if the whole church just feeds on itself, we're just going to consume ourselves. Isn't that what we've been doing the last 2,000 years? But anyway, we need to change that, and we need to say, God, no, who are you giving me? And I think if you ask him that question, who are you finding? You will find that you'll find a whole range of people. And you'll have some people up here that you're helping move on the journey, and you'll have some people down here that you're helping move on the journey. And that way, together, we change the world. And that's what we're called to do. So we model the ways of the kingdom. We, we model the hope of the kingdom. You know, our country at the moment is in a bit of a 48% of the country are feeling pretty hopeless. And even some of the 52% are also now feeling hopeless because of the hopelessness of the 48%. So we've got a massive hopelessness problem. But we follow a king who is a king of hope. (laughs) So it's time for the church to bring hope. And to bring the reality that whatever happens with this whole thing, and if we have another referendum or not, or don't, or whatever... The reality is our confidence is not in Europe or ourselves. It is in God, who's the one who prospered us in the first place. And so it's not that these aren't important issues, but they aren't issues and they they are important issues, but they are not the source of our hope. And we can preach the hope of the kingdom. And we can, just an aside, I found out the other day that no matter how messed a Rubik's Cube, it can be solved in 20 moves. That look on your face, that's exactly the look on my face when I heard that. I mean, I was like so shocked. I was like, that is amazing. What does it say? No matter how messed something is, somebody's life is, somebody's country is, somebody's town is, it can be fixed. It can be fixed. If a Rubik's Cube, no matter how messed, can be solved in 20 moves, then God is the God who can fix any mess. We follow that God. And of course, and you you talked about this a lot, we... We have the message of the power of the kingdom. The message of the power of the kingdom. We model the message of the power of the kingdom. We take opportunities to offer to pray. We, we ask people if there is suffering, is there anything I can do? And we expect the supernatural God who is with us. 
because we are like lambs, but he's the good shepherd to follow through. And he does. You know, we had a, a, a lady come a year or two ago, I think it was, and she came to church, was welcomed by one of the team, and uh, they said, well, how, why are you here? And she said, well, she said, the strangest thing happened. She said, my mother met someone in the high street who came from the king's arms. They prayed for her, and she was totally healed. And they said, why isn't your mother here then? She said, well, she didn't want to come, but I heard the story. I thought, that is really fascinating. <laughs> so she said, I decided to come. <laughs> I decided to come because... <laughs> Because my mother got healed. So the mother never, I don't think the mother still has shown up, but this lady came along because her mother had got healed. We model the power of the kingdom. My favorite stories at the moment is a guy in our church. He's now a believer. It's an amazing kind of journey. But he first came to, we used to do these live music nights. And so we'd have, we got some great musicians. They would just do live, secular kind of music. It wasn't Christian stuff. They would just play covers and their own stuff in a pub, upstairs in a pub. But at the end, because it's King's Arms, we've got to make it our own as well. We can't just do a live music night. So at the end of it, we would, the prophetic team would all be there, but, you know, not with the hats and looking prophetic, <laughs> with the beady prophetic eyes. They would just be like normal people. I'm like, you would never know. You know, so they're there as well. And so they're kind of milling around asking God for words. And so at the end of it, the person who was hosting would say, who'd introduce the bands would say, thanks so much for coming. And uh, by the way, we're all from the King's Arms. And God's been speaking to us about a few things that he's doing. There's someone here who's uh, got a back that needs healing. There's someone here. We do this a few times. They would just read out for it. It didn't take literally 30 seconds. Would all say, If you want prayer for that, there's a team over there in that, that corner. Just go over there. Otherwise, thanks so much for coming. We're off. That was it. End of evening. So it was kind of, you know, very, very subtle. Anyway, the next, what we did one of these things. The next day, one of our guys, one of, one of our guys received a call from his friend who he'd brought. And his friend says, I got healed last night. He said, what do you mean? He said, you know my back condition, which I've had, I think he'd had it for like a decade. He said, my back condition, which I've had for 10 years or so. He said, I, it got healed. And he said, but you didn't, I mean, he said, I know there was that word about a back, but he said, but you didn't go forward or go to the corner or anything. He said, no, he said, but, I sidled up to them while they were praying. (laughs) And it rubbed off on me. (laughs) Which I consider a real provocation because he had more faith than many of our people and sometimes more than me. (laughs) He sidled up. He didn't even get prayer. He just sidled up as close as he could get, turned his back, and whatever it was rubbed off on him. Uh, he has been on a long... He, do you know what? He didn't come to Christ immediately. And I'm glad he didn't because he had all sorts of questions that he had to work through. He's come to services and then not come again. He's joined groups and then left again. He's been on a really, really long journey. But i tell you what, he has now fallen in love with Jesus. He's given his heart to him. He's following him. And, you know, that's a five, that's a five-year journey. But it took someone discipling him. It took someone who wasn't going to give up at minus nine and think, oh, you're stuck there too long. When he moved to minus eight, they were like, yes, 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 yes. And then he moved to minus seven. And then he moved along. And as he did so, five-year journey, because they knew he was a person of peace. Go, find, disciple. And the third word, persevere. It's actually a somber ending that Jesus gives these guys. Jesus is a complete realist. You know, he doesn't hype stuff up. He tells us to follow him, and then he tells us exactly what it's going to be like following him. You know, Jesus is not going to get to the, you know, we're not going to get to heaven and we're going to say, Jesus, you conned me. You didn't tell me how bad it was going to be. No, no, no. He said, this is going to be tough. This is not going to be easy. Do you want to, do you want in or not? 
Do you want in or not? It's up to you. I'm not going to fake this. I'm not going to pretend it's going to be easier than it is. It's not going to be easy. That's what Jesus is like. He's honest. (laughs) He's honest. Do you want to do this? Go. Fine. Disciple. It'll be the greatest, most exciting adventure that we've been on. But he said, you're going to have to persevere. You are going to have to persevere. It's not going to be easy. But if we love Jesus, as he said, you'll obey his commands. And what does he finish with? He says to the disciples in the end, he said, there'll be some whole towns that won't receive you. Whole towns that won't receive you. And you're just going to have to walk away and get on to the next town. I don't know about you, but my heart, when someone doesn't receive me, I like people to like me. When they won't receive me, that hurts. And it makes me get demotivated and stop doing the very thing that Jesus told me to do. This is just me. Is anyone, anyone? We get discouraged. But Jesus built into the very instructions the freedom from discouragement because he told us that's the reality. Even Jesus wasn't. One town wanted to throw him off a cliff after he'd been there. So to me, until I've been threatened to be thrown off a cliff, I haven't even got there yet. I mean, you want to get discouraged, you know, look at Jesus's life. You know? <laughs> You're the hope of the world and they want to throw you off a cliff. Your own hometown want to throw you off a cliff. So until someone's wanting to throw you off the top of this building, keep going. That's the message. <laughs> keep going. Persevere because you never know. One of the things of the kingdom is it's like seeds. You never know when those seeds are going to bring life. You never know when those seeds are going to, it's like sowing seeds. You never know when they're going to come. And what does Paul write in in the New Testament? He says, you you will receive a harvest if you do not give up. So many of us just give up. We give up praying, we give up going out there, we think, just look, I'm just going to keep in my kind of huddle and we're just going to hope, make it through the... No, no, don't give up because you will reap a harvest. You were born to reap a harvest. My point when I started, you were born to multiply. And we've been living in a UK which, to be honest, has been like winter as far as the gospel is concerned. I'm telling you what, I'm proclaiming this now. It is no longer winter in this nation, it is spring. People are coming to faith in Christ all over the place. We're having not not sooner does one revival finish than another one starts. It is spring now. And so if we've got a winter mentality where we're kind of huddled up with our overcoats thinking the ground's too hard to dig, then we're going to miss the very fact that God is changing the temperature sovereignly in our nation. It is now spring. There is a harvest. There is stuff coming through. We, We are likely to find people of peace more than we've ever found them. Just a brilliant story that happened a month or so ago was one of our guys, Steve, and he, um, he is, was, uh, he came to Christ about a decade ago on our, one of our Alpha courses. And at the time, he shared with all of his friends, uh, about what Jesus had done in his life. And he gave one of them a book. Uh, it was The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. He gave him this book. And to be honest, the guy just wasn't interested. A month ago, he phoned Steve and he says, um, uh, my mother has just died. She was like, oh gosh, that's terrible. She was killed in a car crash. And he said, Steve said, I'm so, so sorry. He said, well, he said, the interesting thing that's happened is that I read your book that you gave me 10 years ago. It's been sitting on my shelf all these years. I wanted to read it, but never really just got around to it. But in the last month, I think it was like a month or two, I read it. He said, it's like changed my life. He said, I want to follow God. What do I need to do to become a Christian? I mean, how many of you have had calls like that last week? I mean, that doesn't happen every day to us. But what it showed us is this. When those seeds go out, they don't return void. They sometimes sit dormant for decades. They sometimes sit dormant for decades. 
But if we were, if Steve had given up, if he'd stopped persevering, if he hadn't been the type of person who was still looking, he would probably have missed that opportunity. But actually, he's still looking, still praying, still persevering. How about you? How about me? You know, part of me wants to cry out, I don't have time to make disciples. <laughs> I don't have time to make disciples. I'm too busy. I was talking with my, my friend Paul the other day, and I was saying this to him. He was telling me about his lifestyle of making disciples, how he does it in his day, how, what, how it affects his family, how it fits in. And I said to him, Paul, how do you fit this in? And he said, that's the problem. That question is the problem right there. He said, I don't fit it in. He said, my wife and I decided years ago that Jesus told us to make disciples. That's what we're born to do. So that goes in first. And then everything else fits in around it. That's what Jesus told me to do. And if I love Jesus, I've got to obey his commands. What are his commands? Love God with all our heart. Love my neighbor as myself and make disciples. The great commandment, the great commission. I don't fit those things in. They go in first. Everything else fits in. And it was one of those holy ground moments for me as I realized. So this is, this is fresh. This is live. I realized we've been doing okay as a community. I've been doing okay, but I've been fitting this in. I've been fitting this into my life instead of radically saying, do you know what? This is what I'm born to do. This should not fit in. This is what Jesus is going to, this is what he's going to ask me. Have you done what I told you to do with your life? This is what he's going to ask me. Have you made disciples? Is that what you, and it's not through a lack of ability because we've all got the ability. He made us to do it. It's through a lack of focus. I think very often we just don't have the focus. I've not had the focus. And so I'm in the process of repentance, of changing my thinking and saying, God, I want to get through the, the fear, the things that hold me back, the distractions. I want to make disciples. That's what I've been born to do. I've been born to multiply. And it means working with people on the whole range of the spectrum. That's great. But I've been born to multiply. What God has put in me, in me I've got to multiply elsewhere. How about you? How about this community? If you take this on board as a community, I'm telling you what, you, you will change this whole area. <laughs> you will find people where you never thought they could be found. And next time I come, this room will have a whole lot of new faces in it. <laughs> you receive it. Amen.